This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker with me, Alex Andreu, where we, like a Delphic oracle, divine the big stories for the days ahead. Helping me chew the oleander leaves today, best for Britain's Naomi Smith. Morning, Naomi. Good morning, Alex. How are you? I'm all right. Are you caffeinated and ready to take this week on? Yes, I am. Naomi, the government has not been entirely successful in moving on the news cycle from Partygate. The revelations and allegations keep coming. What's new on this? Well, we've basically had a few more put their letters in or, you know, fire some warning shots. And Sky's Tom Larkin has been the one sort of keeping the the, the tally for the lobby journalists. And mm, his spreadsheet mm. is showing 34 Conservative MPs have publicly questioned the PM's position, 24 saying absolutely now he has to go, not, not a moment longer can he stay, mm, mm. which sort of lends a bit of credence to other senior Conservatives, whoever they are that get quoted, saying that they believe the figures to be in the high 40s now. So, you know, we're we're close, we're close, we're close, which is a, a lot of that, of course, is just bluster to try and give courage to those that haven't yet put their letters in to, to do so. Worth remembering, of course, that the letters are anonymous unless you choose to tell the press that you've done yeah. it. Whereas the 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 ballot that, that happens in the the vote of no confidence should it be triggered is not, so sort of you know this is the time to fire a shot if you're a bit worried about how the whips are going to treat you if you do, so there's that happening and then there's the other revelation that there's been yet another party this time the focus is very much on Carrie Johnson having yet another party in number ten with a couple of papers uh, leading on that today and that Sue Gray you know didn't sufficiently investigate those and and various people are agitating for more. Uh, and mm. better investigation, and then there's a whole backdrop about Gray and whether or not she was pressured to redact the report and amend it and all the rest of it. So it's, it's and not importantly, right. I, I think this is the first time Downing Street has come out to deny the parties oh, in nice, the flats, yes. Um, yes. which which is quite interesting in itself. The the windfall tax that the government announced, which it insists is not a windfall tax, of course. Mm-hmm. How has that gone down? So I think sort of lukewarm with some and then and then pretty pretty negative with others, as you'd expect opposition parties, Labour and Liberal Democrats saying that this is late. 
It will not be a tax on the absolutely enormous bumper profits that the big oil companies have made this year. And also that a lot of these oil companies already exploit lots of loopholes and that this windfall tax does nothing to close those. So it'll be more like a, a light levy than a sort mm, of hardened mm. fast tax. So opposition party is not particularly happy with it. Obviously, the free market fundamentalists within the conservative parties don't like anything that is a, a tax on business and what they see as entrepreneurship and all the rest of it, even though it's just asset wealth and it's not very enterprising. And then I think it's probably, you know, been enough for those that are relatively politically indifferent and, and are sort of vaguely happy with it because it's something you can easily put on a leaflet and say, we've taxed the, mm, or, mm. you know, we've, we've, we've asked the energy companies to do their bit if you're doing a cost of living uh, rebuttal in your red wall constituency but it hasn't mm. been the thing that gets them out of jail and totally moves on the party gate story no yeah and uh, with two by-elections coming up uh, i'm sure it will be on all yeah. their and, and neither, neither of which seem to be going particularly well for the conservatives you've had ben bradshaw former labor minister and obviously devon mp in the neighboring constituency to where one of the by-elections is happening to and honson he's the mp for exeter long-standing labor mp for exeter who's standing down at the next election and he's effectively endorsed the liberal democrats um mm. encouraging people to vote for them there uh, and the liberal democrats aren't sending people up to wakefield in in great numbers at all so it's not looking good for the conservatives in either of those seats and certainly not in, in the Devon one. Um, meanwhile, the ministerial code has been amended to um, remove references of, <laughs> <laughs> to honesty, integrity, transparency yeah. and accountability and why not. Um, does this smack of Patterson-like yes. changing of the rules? Yes. Or, or, or is it actually quite a pragmatic change? I mean, if we are in a situation where no one is bloody resigning over <laughs> these things... That um, <laughs> <laughs> is one way of looking at it. <laughs> does it not make sense to just reflect the reality actually in the code? I mean, I think when, when I, I was just jaw-dropped when this came out <laughs> you know, last week. But I shouldn't have been because this is all of a piece of that slippery piglet. So, look, it is... You are right... Ethically, this is abhorrent and it, it changes everything. But technically, seeing as they weren't abiding by the law sets, it changes nothing, in effect, because yeah. apparently people are beyond accountability now and and don't get held accountable for any of the terrible things they do so look but yes it is it, it, it absolutely smacks of Patterson let's do what we can to, to rewrite the rule book so that we can no longer have this stuff thrown at us it's just disgraceful mm. okay let's move on um across the Atlantic America is is mourning yet another school shooting at the Uvalde school and this has reopened the debate on gun control I mean, it's it's interesting that there's been another shooting since that shooting. Last night, there was a, a shooting in an Oklahoma festival with one dead and seven injured. Is this the same part of the cycle that Europeans wearily observe every time such a shooting happens? Or is there momentum this time that might indicate something will change? I, the, the long and short of it is that I hope so, but I don't know. Hmm. Um, and when you look at 
uh, Gallup polling of US citizens and, and try and understand the public mindset on the gun control debate. Just earlier this year, are you satisfied with the gun laws or unsatisfied? Do you want stricter or looser gun laws? Only a third of Americans say they were dissatisfied and wanted stricter gun controls. 61% either satisfied or dissatisfied but want less strict laws, 13%. You know, it's it's, it's an odd country when it comes to this kind of thing. Yeah. Now, you, you, you have to weigh it all up if you are in favor of breaking up the gun lobby and and tightening gun control restrictions as to whether or not to go hard on it going into an election because you don't want to harden the vote of the other side yeah because the midterms are coming that's uh, right yeah yeah exactly so most of the reporting coming out of america seems to be that republicans just don't feel pressure to act because Voters are as likely to trust them on the issue as guns as they are to trust Democrats. 38% of Americans agreed with Republicans on gun policy. Th- on gun policy, 37% agreed with the Democrats on it. So, you know, with a with a margin of error of one um, that has been very consistent in the polling, it's not obvious that that either side is going to you know benefit from going hard on it. Mm. On the other hand, not doing anything might actually soften Biden's base, might make people sit on their hands and not go out to vote vote on his side. Indeed, indeed. And and I think your original question was really, you know, does this latest event change minds? Is it going to have an impact in a way that, you know, Sandy Hook 10 years before it sort of yeah. did immediately afterwards, but then it, it reverted to normal. Obviously, it's just too early to say, I think. Uh, and, and we have very different levels of reporting now than we did in 2012 and far more, you know, social media commentary from people that that, that didn't have a way to self-publicise their views on this stuff before. I think where there is some bipartisan commonality is on tightening the pre-approval process for being sold a weapon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the very, very, very least, let's hope that at least something like that can happen. But as of right now today, it it doesn't look like we're headed for a situation where the gun lobby has any sort of less of a vice-like grip on American politics, I'm afraid. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Closer to home, Stormont meets today. Uh, Monday to try and break up the deadlock and and have another crack at nominating a speaker. DUP leader Jeffrey Donaldson has already said he won't move until legislation is laid down in the UK Parliament that sets the protocol aside. How do you think this will develop? I mean, so excuse my language this early on a Monday morning, but fuck the DUP. I mean, what a load of self-sabotaging idiots. 
So there has been this recall motion. We often hear that here in England when um, a naughty MP has done something and then uh, you can you can set up a recall motion to try and force a by-election. Well, in, in Northern Ireland, um, 30 MLAs, some members of the of the Stormont Assembly, um, signed a recall motion. And Donaldson and the DUP are just saying, well, this is a stunt, this is a stunt. Of course, it's not a stunt. It's people trying to get their... <laughs> government back together yeah. and, and the power sharing executive to actually do stuff because you know people are suffering from all sorts of things other than the, the, the situation with Brexit in Northern Ireland, you know, hospital issues, you know, the cost of living crisis for Northern Ireland is terrible. Yeah. It's one of the poorest parts of the UK. So this, this is really bad. So the Assembly is meeting at, at, at midday today. But but insofar as where the, the, the British government is at, I think we're still in the situation of they don't want to trigger a trade war but they want to keep the gun on the table they want to threaten Mm -hmm. it so they've laid the legislation or they're bringing forward the legislation they're hoping that it'll go before parliament uh in september but therefore giving a sort of three month four month run in threat to brussels they're hoping that brussels will concede on some parts of the protocol before that so that they can then take that legislation off the table so the 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 legislative stuff itself about the unilateral you know tearing up of parts of the northern Ireland protocol is really there just to try and bully the eu into into making concessions on you know which mm. products it really doesn't matter if it ends up going from Derry to donegal it's an interesting it's an interesting situation to watch i think how it plays out politically mm. uh, because what listeners need to understand is that the assembly right now has money it can't yeah. spend yeah. um you know people are are suffering on the ground with all of this stuff going on and the assembly has this budget that mm-hmm. it can't actually spend i don't know if voters will Forgive the DUP for no, this, but I, I, yeah, I don't know how factional things are um, there. Um, Northern Ireland, very, <laughs> very, yeah, but not as factional as they they were. No, no, that's true. Yeah. Okay, there are some other bits going on. There's a, a new migration visa route announced, or rather leaked to the press, for graduates of the best universities in the world. Is this quite revealing of Tory thinking? Yeah, the, yes, it, there are good immigrants and there are bad immigrants, if you are a conservative. Yeah. And good immigrants are very clever and pay, you know, tax and earn a lot of money. And bad immigrants come here and thieve benefits and, you know, take up precious space in the NHS. And all, it's absolute nonsense. And when you speak to businesses up and down the country, as we do at Best of Britain through our Trade Commission, they are crying out for visas to be offered to people of all skills and none, because that is where the gaps are. You know, when you look at social care, when you look at mm. fruit picking, when you look at hospitality and retail, they do not require people with a Harvard or Yale degree. I'm sure they wouldn't turn them down should those graduates want to apply to pick fruit and uh, and help people in care homes. <laughs> but um, I'm not sure the parents that paid, you know, $100,000 for them to do a term at that university would, um, would be too happy with them ending up in those jobs. It just struck me that it, it is a it, it is a, a, a very open expression of what we care about is where you went to school. So they would rather take someone who scraped a pass from Yale 
than the top graduate of the uh, University of Buenos Aires or the top yes. graduate of the of the University of Copenhagen, which just seems to me a little bit crazy, actually. But oh, it's, it's completely economically illiterate, um, yeah. if nothing else, as well as being callous. But uh, they are callous and economically illiterate, so we yeah. shouldn't be surprised. Also, it's not how academics works nowadays. You know, there there are courses for which certain universities, you know, even the top ones are really well known for, and other courses about. Uh, for which they're not well respected for and then you might have a university um you know i know of a university in denmark for instance that offers one of the top animation courses in the world world, um, but that wouldn't that wouldn't matter there was also a windrush report that was leaked that the home office apparently tried to suppress for for years now and the the pertinent quote is and I read from it, during the period 1950 to 1981, every single piece of immigration or citizenship legislation was designed at least in part to reduce the number of people with black or brown skin who were permitted to live and work in the UK. Oh, that makes me feel sick, Alex. Have we moved on from that? Or are we, you know, on on a at a time when we're saying yay to Harvard graduates, no to people crossing over in an inflatable, is that not exactly the same? I think it's worse than that, Alex. I think we've extended it from reducing the number of people with black or brown skin or, or white skin because of ending free movement mm-hmm. and the majority of people in, in Europe wouldn't be classified as, as having black or brown skin at the moment. So... And 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 remember that you know a lot of the, a lot of the Harvards and and Yales you know do have very large numbers of Indian Chinese Korean you know students that that do exceptional exceptionally well. These are global businesses that attract high caliber students from all over the world. So I think it's I think it's worse than than anything because it, it it's it, it, it it's 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 about status and money. And mm. Singapore on Thames, and we'll take the richest who probably, you know, agree with us on tax, and and we don't want, you know, those that that may at some point need some kind of state benefit handout, whether it's you know for for the health of their family or or, or you know some employment support if they lose their job or whatever it is, you know, if they haven't got a f- rich family to fall back on, we don't want them, no matter no matter what you know ethnicity there which is it's just oh it's maddening and ridiculous because you know we've got an aging population we are very anti-natalist in our government policies we mm-hmm. don't try and incentivize british people to have children at all quite the reverse and so if you are going to adopt that approach then the only way to help grow your economy and uh fill the jobs that are required in businesses is to import that talent and that talent isn't always going to need to come from places like Yale and Harvard Mm. so it's maddening and and, you know I had hoped that we had begun to move on from the xenophobia but um, government not sure. Not to mention as I always do that that you know people's stories are not linear you know people can come here as uh, a, a dishwasher and then go to university or then found a company. And, you know, the, this idea that at age 18 or 20 or 25, someone will be a ready-made 
um, economic unit is ridiculous. Aren't and entrepreneurs overrepresented by people that, that that started their company in the not not in the country they were born? You know, necessity is the mother of all invention. After all, I'm sure that we're missing out on huge amounts. Liverpool fans were treated roughly by French police. It is unfortunate, given the history of the club. I don't want to particularly dwell on it. I'm sure it will, you know, complaint will be made. The football authorities will get involved and nothing much will happen, as it always doesn't. But uh, what I'm interested in is that it's straining an already quite bad diplomatic state of affairs between the UK and France. Are those fences mendable at all, do you think, without a change of management, as it were? That's a good question. Of course, they're mendable. Um, you know, we are incredibly close geographically, you know, culturally, historically. There are millions of French people that that live in the UK, and I assume still hundreds of thousands of Brits that that have a retirement home or holiday home in France. So, you know, I, I would hope so. But I think what it is is a reminder of. France can be a very, very authoritarian country. We often talk on our podcast about the authoritarian creep here in the UK, but but France is quite far ahead of us on some stuff. And and yes, the scenes were upsetting to see, particularly, as you say, given the history of, of Liverpool Football Club. So, yeah, I mean, it, it won't help. You're, you're right. And, uh, you know, I would hope that, that our leaders on both sides of the channel would... Uh, would extend an olive branch to one another over this, at least. Here's hoping. Finally, the Platinum Jubilee long weekend is almost upon us. Beyond the celebrations, this is a constant reminder of the Queen's advanced stage. What is the future of the monarchy without Elizabeth II? Do you think the papers have decided yet whether they (laughs) like King's King Charles, I I'm sensing am- ambivalence. He, I mean, look, no, no, no one is as popular as the Queen, and I would imagine that even her reputation has taken a a bit of a hammering over um, her protection of um, her son Prince Andrew and and forking out uh, for his legal fees. So no, I th- I mean, look, you you've got to ask Ian this question because Ian Dunst is the <laughs> monarchist amongst us, and I am. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, and he's actually a Prince Charles fan. You know, he goes beyond just being <laughs> to he, he he likes how he dresses. He thinks Charles is a Oh, character. these slanderous statements. Um, were, were, he said it himself. Listeners will confirm he has said it himself. So, uh, I mean, look, we are in a, a situation where we have a cost of living crisis like we have not seen for generations and many, many people will just not remember anything like it and the, the levels of inflation that we've got now. One in three people were not alive for the last time it happened. And then we have this institution that is incredibly wealthy. And what greater gift could a monarch give to a nation than to, you know, practically you know single-handedly solve a a a crisis at a hospital by you know funding it or or whatever and we just don't really see that from the Windsors so I don't know I I would hope that people are beginning to wake up to the fact that this you know monarchist culture that we've got in the 
UK helps to perpetuate and cement power imbalances and you know the class system, and that's not okay. But you wouldn't know time, it from coverage. That, well, no, and, <laughs> that there's any so shift. If I, if I have to see Nicholas Witchell one more time, it'll be too one time too many. I will not be looking at the television for the next week. But given where we are with this terrible government, I think that probably is helping the royal family a little bit because yep. notionally the Queen is head of state and is one of the only last checks and balances we have on this goddamned awful Prime Minister. And it is not infrequent that when he does something terrible, my Twitter feed fills up with people saying, oh, well, it's down to the Queen now. She's got to get rid of him. She's got to tell him. She, you know. um, <laughs> yeah, that now, of course, she never would. But I think my point being that while most people, I think, understand that we need some kind of reset of British politics, even if they wouldn't go as far as calling it a constitutional convention or you know major constitutional reform i think there is an anxiety about getting rid of the monarchy and further empowering a very 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 terrible prime minister mm. anything else we should look out for is best for britain doing anything um, significant this week that that you w- want to plug is a short week thank you very much well we are getting ever closer to building our tactical voting advice website because we never know when an election will be upon us so if that went well that went down well last time yes Um, well we got millions and millions and millions of of people using it and you know some postcodes had over a hundred thousand um searches of of people you know in that area trying to find out who who to vote for but it wasn't enough to overcome the the power of get brexit done johnson and the you know dislike of of jeremy corbyn so um i wish we didn't have to do tactical voting but we probably will but if if listeners aren't signed up to best of written you can go to bestwritten.org slash join um for free and then that means you'll be alerted as and when um, we roll out that campaign and others excellent naomi smith thank you for joining us thanks alex you are now ready to start your week and what an exciting week it is on the bunker from wednesday we're running a series focused on the prospect of the metaverse we imagine what a typical day in cyberspace might be like we explore the practical and philosophical quandaries we might face and we even ponder how our psychology might be warped by a further leap online so look out for those dailies if you found this and our wider family of podcasts useful, then you can help support our work on the funding platform Patreon from just £2 a month, the price of a coffee. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast. Every donation keeps us going and spurs us on. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Alex Andreu and Naomi Smith. The producers were Jacob Archbold, Yelena Sofronievich and Alex Reese, with assistant production from Alina Ganatra. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the audio producer was me, Jay Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison, theme tune by Kenny Dickinson, The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>